Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So this is, I think this is class 25 of our 32, but it's actually going to be a 33 class structured study of jhana. Um, and last class, we looked at the Buddhist teachings on the four foundations of mindfulness um, that establishes the right method of practice, meaning the right method of, of jhana meditation. And so this is the only meditation method the Buddha ever taught, despite the almost endless um, methods that are around today. Some are, um, can maybe be seen as meditation. Most of them are, are contemplation practices. Just to make the distinction, none of them are good, bad, or indifferent. They're just different. And so as Dhamma practitioners, we use this one simple and direct method for the sole purpose of deepening concentration for no other reason. And it is from that um, ever-deepening concentration that we're able to hold in mind we find mindfulness, hold in mind the other seven factors of the Eightfold Path as the framework and guide for our Dhamma practice. So our practice is very well focused. In that way, it's very simple. Um, it's easily understood by anybody who applies himself to, to, to get past the conceptual applications and have the direct experience of what it actually means to awaken, to develop uh, full human maturity. And so this class um, begins our look at something that is so important called the seven factors of awakening. And uh, if you didn't uh, listen to last week's class, it's up on the website. Please listen to it because it puts what we're about to, what I'm about to teach in the right context. Um, and I'm not going to go through it again. There's no time. John? Yes, David. Is that the right one? Seven factors of awakening. Yeah, this comes in later too. Later in the Sutra. Yeah, yeah. Well, David brings up a good point. This, uh, what I'm about to teach tonight is almost can be seen as an, um, an introductory lesson in the seven factors of awakening that are, um, uh, that are then taught in more detail in Saturday's class or David's concluding class, Tuesday's class. So again, the, this uh, hearing and understanding this um, four-part sutta is important to understand jhana meditation because this is the sutta where the Buddha uses monks, as I'm about to get, get to, um, as an example of right practice of what you can all expect or we can all expect from engaging in the right method of practice. But it's also uh, so informative to keep us well-focused. If we're getting into other areas or not understanding what develops the right method, Find out why. It's our um, responsibility to hone our practice um, to what is being presented to us as Dhamma practice and not try to um, eliminate some things that we're not fond of or try to um, color things or massage things in, in any way that would then become eye-making within practice. So this describes this very simple method and what we can develop. So, the seven factors of awakening that are developed through the right method are first mindfulness, but it's also, um, it's a very refined mindfulness. Mindfulness means to recollect or to hold in mind. So we're talking about 
Dhamma practice and the resolution of ignorance of Four Noble Truths, which is the Eightfold Path. So it is, of course, mindfulness of the Eightfold Path that we're talking about. Mindfulness of tomorrow's weather or mindfulness of our favorite poet, mindfulness of washing the dishes is all great, but it has nothing to do with Dhamma practice. So the application of mindfulness outside of Dhamma practice is useful in some cases. In some cases, it's not. Uh, in some cases, mindfulness can uh, literally take our lives away. In the case of someone who is compulsive about drugs or alcohol, like I was, that's, that's mindfulness. I would, for a long period of my life, and anybody who was addicted to drugs or alcohol or any other substance or behavior would understand this. I could not get out of my mind the next drink or a drug. That's mindfulness. It's wrong mindfulness, but it's still mindfulness. I was, I was holding in mind what was most important to me. Conversely, the Dhamma is holding in mind that which is of most beneficial to me, the Eightfold Path. And it's just that um, cut and dry or black and white. The next factor of awakening is penetrating investigation of the Dhamma. We have to actually get into this, understand it, and put it into practice in our daily lives. But that's not hard. It just takes ongoing practice. This practice is designed for each and every human being who is interested in it, they can develop it. There's, there's nothing um, difficult that would exclude any human being about developing this. The next factor is enthusiasm, meaning we have enthusiasm because we understand the true refuge that this is. The next is rapture. And we are in discussion within our Sangha of uh, combining these two because they're so similar. So rapture is defined as joyful engagement with the Dhamma. But joyfulness and enthusiasm are, are very closely linked. But if you don't have that, what this is teaching is to generate it. It's not something that is magic. It's not something that is bestowed on us because we're just such wonderful dollar practitioners. If it's not there, find out why. And the reason why would be that you, you haven't yet taken refuge in the Buddha, his Dhamma, and in well-informed and well-focused Sangha. Because if you truly take refuge, you will then be enthusiastic about continuing to develop your refuge. And if you don't understand that, that's what the next part of our class is about, asking questions and talking about this. The next factor is calm. That is the Buddhist description of the quality of mind of an awakened human being. And it is one of the factors of awakening, calm. And you should all recognize it as your jhana practice, as your four foundation of mindfulness practice deepens. And Initially, we're not talking about everlasting, eternal calm. We're simply talking about taking a breath and recognizing in this moment, I'm calm. And then recognizing the incredible benefit of recognizing that you're calm. Because if you can recognize it, then you can accept responsibility and accept ownership for your calm and peaceful mind. And that's so important. Because if you own it, then you can keep regenerating in each and every breath. If you think that your deepening concentration is somehow coming from out of you, you have to get focused. You have to find out why you're thinking that way. And this is what the seven factors of awakening are for, are a teaching to see that we're actually doing it ourselves. It's no longer conceptual. The next factor is, of course, concentration. We recognize every deepening concentration and we, there's lessons that we teach called lessons in the jhanas or deepening meditative absorption. And that's also part of this um, jhana structured study. So notice that your concentration is increasing both in your practice and on your cushion, 
but off your off your cushion and in your mundane day-to-day -day life, excuse mundane, if that's not how you want to look at your life, your day-to-day -day life, that you're able to catch yourself in moments that might have been distracting, uh, that might even be agitating. And you're able to catch yourself in that process of losing your mind to agitation, to distraction, and you take a breath. That's the practical application of jhana meditation. In fact, you could say it's the only reason we develop jhana. So in the moment, in my life, as my life is unfolding, I can take a breath and recognize just in that past moment, I was not concentrated. I had lost my mind. And in this method, I, this moment I am. And how do you know that you are? Because there is calm and concentration present. And in the next breath and in the next thought, you might lose it all over again, but now you own it. You know how to get back. And you don't have to wait till the next class or even the next meditation session to reclaim your mind, to unite your mind and your body. That's the point of Dhamma practice. And it's the only point. It sounds almost too simple, doesn't it? But then think about the incredible benefits of being present for each and every moment of your life. Now you're not lost. You know, we even have a phrase that we've created to characterize most of human life, a lost soul. Well, we're not lost souls. In fact, we're not souls at all. We're human beings. And we have the ability to be mindfully present in our life as our life unfolds. And that's life's greatest rewards. The next factor, and it's the balancing of all of this, what I just described, called equanimity. It's a balanced state of mind, resting in common concentration and resting in understanding. Understanding what? Understanding Four Noble Truth, and primarily understanding the dukkha that is present, the stress and suffering that is present in this moment, if I am not calm and well concentrated. So when I find that I am disturbed in any way, and it could be being disturbed by grasping after bliss as well as aversion to something that is unpleasant, I've lost my mind in that moment, but I can also reclaim my mind in that moment by recognizing this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. What I am is a sixth property person, not attached to anything in the world. And we achieve this, these seven factors of awakening, in this sutta, it's followed directly by half, the Noble Eightfold Path, which is right view or right understanding, right intention or right resolve. It means that I have the right intention. I am inclined toward resolution, meaning I'm going in the right direction. How do I know I'm in the right direction? Because it's the Eightfold Path that I'm practicing. It's not a nine-factor path or a 10-factor path or an unlimited path, which is what most of modern practice is about, or a single-factor path which is what a lot of modern Buddhism, especially the Zen schools, which is mind only. The, the, the mind only school it, it initiated in something called the Yogacara school, which means just that, mind only. You're only working with the mind. Well, we're not working with just the mind. We're working with a mind united in its body. And that is so necessary because a mind that is only conceptually working with itself is always disjointed from its body, isn't it? It's always trying to generate a concept of what awakening might be, rather than having the immediate experience of calm and con calm concentration and equanimity in this moment. That's how we know that we're developing the Dhamma. Not some magical appearance in some far-fetched corner of my mind or the corner of the mind of all humanity. No, it's right here and right now. 
again, life is its own reward, but we have to live it to gain the reward. Makes sense, don't, doesn't it? For us to reap the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, we got to get to the end of the rainbow. Where is it? And it's always right here. And it's always right now. This moment, refined mindfulness, rooted in concentration, is the end of the rainbow. And we know how to get there immediately. Right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration or right meditation. So all of these point to a right and a wrong method. And most people don't want to um, even look at their choices in life this way, excuse me, because it seems so limited that if I'm, de if I'm developing a right view, what about all these other views that I've developed in, in my life that I'm so enamored with that are how I use to describe me in relation to the world? This, my world is my views, isn't it? In fact, I would say that my views are my world, no matter how much stress and suffering they brought me and everyone else. The Buddha realized this and he described this problem of, human, of humanity rooted in ignorance. He said, I looked out on the world and what did I see? I saw a world of flame, a flame with what? A flame with the fires of passion, a flame with the fires of eye making, always maintaining my self-referential views in this moment and the next moment and the next moment and preoccupied that I'm going to be able to do this forever. Not just in the rest of this physical life, I gotta figure out a way that I can keep this going forever. I gotta create a conceptual soul, and a, a, a conceptual belief to allow, uh, to allow for my continued establish in my own imagination. There is Dukkha, where is it? It's in here. It's in the way that I think about myself in relation to the world and in relation to you. And when I can truly understand that none of this is me, that I am a six-property person, calm, well-concentrated. I use the word basking in equanimity because that's what our lives should feel like. Basking in this understanding of what it means to be a human being. And it doesn't mean anything else than what's occurring in this moment. You wanna know what your karma is? You wanna know what you're gonna become? You have to be present to realize that because what you are going to become is right here and right now. We are in this moment becoming all that we can ever be and all that we ever will be. So it's important to hold in mind what we are because that will determine the next moment and the next moment. When we're rooted in understanding, then that understanding is what feeds or colors the next moment. When, when we're not, it can only be ignorance that feeds and colors the next moment. Does everybody follow me with that? Everybody understands it? So you, and again, I don't mean this in a, in a, um, uh, in a callous way. You do understand the Dhamma and practices just to keep bringing you back to that understanding. This is not me. This is not mine. That, this is what the Anapanasati Sutta is describing in all these different ways so that you can see it happening in yourself. The Buddha then says, in this community, and, and, and by the way, this was very early in the, Bo the Buddha's dispensation. The reason I say that is because he's only using monks as a reference. That does not mean that, that, that nuns, uh, bhikkhunis, female followers, weren't part of the Buddha Sangha. They were, but not right at the beginning. They came a little bit later, and there's a, there's a 
I got to got to get into it. It's not because the Buddha did not want women in the Sangha because he didn't think it was appropriate. He thought that because of the, the, the way that the society was structured, that if he allowed women into his Sangha, that they'd likely be killed. Because during, in that, um, the, the way that society was set up in those days, that if you were one of the lesser classes of people, you weren't even allowed to learn anything. So that might be spiritual. And you certainly, if you were a woman, you weren't allowed any of that. And if you taught that to women, you would be put to death and the women would be as well. The Buddha did not let that stop. And he saw, he saw equality in his equanimous mind, that this is for everyone. But it just wasn't there in the beginning of the suit of the song. So the Buddha says, in this community of monks, there are monks who remain devoted to the development of goodwill and compassion. We are devoted to developing goodwill and compassion. Why is that so important? And right here at the beginning of this part, because if we aren't developing goodwill and compassion, we're not practicing the Dhamma. That's how we know. That's not what we do to prove that we're good Dhamma practitioners, always be rooted in goodwill and compassion. When we're not doing that, we recognize that we're eye-making. So conceptualizing being a compassionate person is not Dhamma practice. You have to marry it with wisdom. And so again, the Buddha doesn't just stop there and say, go out and be really good people. He says that we are devoted to concern and equanimity. What does concern mean? Excuse me. And it's such an important point and an important word. Concern to most of us would initially mean concern for others, doesn't it? When I say the word concern, you think about, you might think about your children or your spouse or other people, and that's a, you're almost there. But we have to begin with concern for ourselves. That's what the Buddha is teaching. Don't be so concerned about other people's behaviors first. Be concerned with your own. Is your behavior beyond shame? Or is there something in your behavior that is shameful? And how do we know? Not in, a, not in a Ten Commandment way, not that we're going to burn in hell because of our shameful behavior. Shameful as it relates to right speech, right action, and right livelihood. That's all that we're talking about. But if, it, if we are prone to wrong speech or wrong action or wrong livelihood, we should be concerned about it, circumspect enough to recognize it and to abandon it. And then that allows, once we're done with being that, freeing ourselves of our own self-reference, then we can truly be of concern for others. This is marrying wisdom with compassion, but it begins with ourselves. They understand the relentless decay <clears throat> of the body and the impermanence of all conditioned things, meaning we know we got a few years to do this and nobody knows how long. Let's get to it. And then he concludes by saying, such are the monks in this community of monks. This, these people have done it, just like you and me. That's what he's saying. And you can do it. And this community of monks is now teaching the others, just like we're doing here. Exactly what we're doing here. In this community of monks, in this community, and becoming Buddha Cross River Meditation Center, there are teachers who remain devoted to mindfulness of the in-breath and the out-breath. That's why this works, because we're devoted to the same thing. And this one thing, the in-breath and the out-breath, not other practices. This is what we're devoted to as Dhamma practitioners. 
Then the Buddha says, mindfulness of the in, of in breath and the out breath, when appropriate developed, is of great benefit. There's an appropriate way to do that. That's what we do here. Mindfulness of the in breath and the out breath, again, when appropriate, appropriately develops, in parentheses, supports the concentration necessary that brings the four foundations of mindfulness to their culmination. Mindfulness of the in-breath and the out-breath when appropriate developed is of great benefit. Mindfulness of the in-breath and the out-breath when appropriate developed brings the four foundations of mindfulness to their culmination. So we're not just sitting in meditation for that sole purpose of deepening concentration, but to take it off our cushions and apply it with refined mindfulness. That's what the Buddha is teaching us. There's a great um, Christian mystic, and if you ever got into Christian mysticism, you read Thomas Merton. He's a, really a great read even today. I still like to read his. And he wrote this story, a seminal work was a seven-story mountain. And, and he talks about how important it was for him to leave the world behind and go up on the mountain and meditate. And he did this for 10 years. But one of the most important things that he said, and he continued to say for the rest of his life, was it's great to go out and, and leave the world behind and gain some understanding, not exactly the words he said, but he said, all of that is useless if you can't come down off the mountain and bring it into the marketplace. He was saying just what the Buddha just said. All of the work we do on our cushion is of absolutely no value if we can't apply it, bring it into the marketplace of our lives. There's an economic term called market value. I'm not looking into the economics, but what we're developing is our own market value. We're bringing something of true market value that we develop in ourselves and can bring out into the world. And that is how we can save the world. But we're not here to do it. We're here to do this for ourselves so we, that we can be genuine in the world, that we can be genuinely calm, genuinely working out of wisdom, not out of compulsion to save anybody or change anybody or change ourselves. So, and we do it because of calm concentration, resting in equanimity. Yes, Donna, teacher. So, the marketplace would really be just a testing ground. Yes. Ram just said the marketplace is the testing ground. So our, such a great way to put it, our Dhamma practice is our testing ground. But we're the ones that are, that are initiating the test. It's not being applied to us. We're testing ourselves each and every moment. Am I doing this right? And if you're not doing it right, find out why. And where do we go to find out why? Jennifer. I don't think it's our question. <laughs> Please. To our question? Uh, I don't know. Or, or in the marketplace. That's where it's right, right here in our town. Right, it was a trick question. I didn't yeah. put you on the spot. It's right here. It's just what we're doing. It's just what we're doing. There's, there's no mystery at all to this. We do it every time we come to class. We do it every time we meditate and, and, and live within the framework of the Eightfold Path. We do it, you know, all the other things that we do to invigorate and inspire our own Dhamma practice is just this. We will reap the rewards of our own practice. But again, it's up to us. This is the description of the, of the, uh, the type of practice and the type of effort we should be engaging if we hope to develop this. But it's, impo it's possible for each and every one of us. Friends, the, the Buddha continues. Friends, this is the direct path for the purification of all beings. 
for the cessation of sorrow and regret for the disappearance of pain and distress, for establishing the right method of practice and for complete unbinding. In other words, these four foundations of mindfulness, it all begins with these four foundations of mindfulness and then applying that, you know why I'm looking around, I can't see anything with these glasses on. And then applying that in this appropriate way, there's an appropriate way to do it. There's a right method of practice. The four foundations of mindfulness are appropriate develop bring the seven factors of awakening to their culmination. It's how we do it. We don't grasp after, we don't analyze it, we simply engage in practice. The seven factors of awakening, when appropriate develop, brings clear knowing or right understanding or right view and release from clinging to views ignorant and bringing those views to their culmination. That's the end of this section. You were about to drop in, jump in where you David. <laughs> I almost went too far, but that's it. So uh, again, just to quickly characterize this, because it doesn't need anything else, we're developing this to get to the culmination. What is the culmination? Lasting calm and peace. A calm, well-concentrated mind that is equanimous. It's balanced no matter what's occurring. It sees everything from the same view. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. It's the resolution to what the Buddha saw in the Loka Sutta. It's the resolution of being driven by the fires of passion. I did that to myself out of grasping, out of thinking I had to be something other than what I was. And I never knew what I was until I knew that I was a human being. And all the limitations of that have mean nothing at all. Once you understand that that's all you can ever be. That's it. Um, I think I have to go out of memory. Um, I, I can't see everybody who's online, but Brian, how are you? I think I'll remember everyone. And if I miss anyone, Brian will remind me. I'm good, John. Thank you for your teaching. Um, yeah, just always, always great to hear the, the simplicity of this and just this in and out breath and how that contains the arising and the passing away and how that's just the the blueprint for the entire culmination. Yeah. Um, I don't have much more than that. Thank you for tonight. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Brian. That is, that, it, it's, it's that, uh, it just paints it clearly, doesn't it? Uh, Dan, how are you? Yeah, doing good. Uh, yeah, I, um, I enjoyed the class. And um, I enjoyed the meditation before the class. Um, you were able to engage in the method. It was simple. And yeah, you know, I've been trying to do some breathing this week <clears throat> and um, just noticing my thoughts, you know, and uh, just uh, being a casual observer of my thoughts. And uh, it's, um, it seems, so simple but you know sometimes i make it complex <laughs> yes that's what we all do <laughs> so that you're already great insight then uh you're not the only one i think it's one of the reasons i know it's one of the reasons why why siddhartha the, the human being that became the buddha taught such a simple method because he understood how intricate and entangled ignorance of four noble truths can be but it's just a simple and direct method and it even goes a little bit further than you've been doing. 
In other words, when you recognize that you're caught up in thoughts, you don't observe the thoughts, you just take another breath because that's how you deepen your concentration. So there's really no value in, in that moment of even uh, romancing thoughts or feelings at all. Come back to the sensation of breathing. Um, on the website, if you haven't noticed, there are uh, five to 45 minute guided meditations, just like we did right here tonight with basically the same verbiage. Um, I would suggest to start with five minutes and you can do that twice a day around 12 hours apart and continue to join us um, as often as you can. You'll develop this very quickly. And some of the things I'm sure tonight um, really didn't have a lot of meaning, but it's just because you don't have the context for applying them yet. And that's what uh, our classes are about. So uh, I hope you continue to join us and always feel free to send me an email via the website if you have any, any you know, confusion or questions or just want to say hello. So, well, thank you. Summer, man. Thank you. Oh, pleasure. Ron, who else is on there? Um, uh, Jane, yes. How can I forget Jane? Hello, Jane. Hi, John. Uh, thank you for the teaching. As I've said before, this practice has helped me find Tom. And if I can find it, anybody can. So thank you. Yeah, I would say the same thing. Uh, is there anybody I haven't called? Uh, Slav is there. Oh, yeah. I forgot Slav, too. How can I forget my friend Slav? How are you, smiling Slav? Doing good, thank you. Yay. Everything's uh, good? Yes. Uh, thank you, John, for teaching. And I uh, don't have nothing to say anymore. Uh, I mean, anything. This was very well, good. I'm glad you joined us. Uh, let's have a talk soon. Let me know when you have some time. I'll see you, Slav. Jennifer. I don't have much to add. I think we're taking a little silence. I mean, it was wonderful, and I'm just going to take it in. Yeah, I'm glad you were here. Hello, Brett. Hi. <clears throat> Good to be here. Uh, thanks for your teaching. Um, I just, you know, get out of it as karma is you know what, you know what you're holding in mind and yeah. I was you know working today or Saturday when I had some stuff come in that was not good news uh you know I, I flew off the handle and continued to fly off the handle and I was like well oh, you know it's what you're holding in mind you have to be able to stop and uh and you know whatever the monkey mind or whatever you know you just yeah. come back to your breath and realize it but you have to have the right effort yeah and you were able to do it maybe not as quick as you'd like to but i'm aware of what i'm doing it. yeah i know i, I know <laughs> so i'm doing it but the, you used the right word aware and there's a, a book i think i might mention to julia the other day did i forget julia i did yeah well i'll get back to julia please um by anthony demello called awareness i still remember one line um, it says awareness isn't change, it's a power to change. And you're you have you now have the power to change because you're aware of what needs to be changed. That's the eightfold path that helps refine your focus in, in just that way. Yeah. And that's what you experience, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it just takes a little bit longer to, you know, yeah. uh, you know, but I have everybody in the back of my head, you and everybody else going, well, oh, uh, come back to your breath, what are you doing? What's gonna do this? And so it's kind of get, getting there. And yeah, you know, sometimes, but sometimes there's some inertia behind it. That's the right word, too, inertia, yeah. yeah or conditioned thinking. Yeah. But you got there. You know, that's the important thing. It really is. That's that you're also experiencing a factor of the third noble truth in permanence that it's 
it's possible to bring this to cessation, which means you got to go through the process, which yeah. is what you're going through. And when it does pass, I go, oh, it passed. It's yeah. After I can get myself through things now, they're over, and I'm not attached to, you know, the feelings or emotions that have come up. And yeah, you know, there's an emotional hangover for me, you know, losing it a little bit, but. Um, <clears throat> And, oh, that was, you know, you realize the impermanence of things and now it's yes. passed and, and it's, it's a wonderful thing when you're like, oh, I'm not going to miss this again. It's over and I move on. Yeah. And that's just what Kandana realized when he awakened at the Buddha's first teaching that all conditioned things that arise are subject to cessation. And even something that seemed as solid and powerful, I know what you're talking about. Brett and I talked about it. It was pretty, it was a big thing. But, you know, you were able to stay with it. And, you know, it wasn't just somebody who looked at you askance. Like, is that word again? It was a little bit more than that, but you were able to, to persevere, right effort, you got to the end of it. It doesn't mean that it was pleasant, though, was it? No. Yeah, again, that's the fourth foundation of mindfulness. You gain the ability to be at peace with that less than peaceful mind state. Then you're able to make some better decisions. Thank you, Brett. Thank you. Um, Julie, are you still with us? Hi, John. Thanks oh, for the teaching. It was great. Wow. Um, I'm still taking all of that in. Um, Dan, welcome. And uh, hmm, I had some questions, but I was just a, a question. As I was listening, a question would pop up and then I just kept listening and then a question popped up. So I'm just still absorbing this all. And uh, yeah, I got a lot out of it. I'm trying to think of what I was going to ask, but I do notice um, when you mentioned like um, recognizing when I'm, so I'm just going to use this as an example, but as I'm going to patients' houses and I'm dealing with their, um, their central lines and stuff, I notice how calm I, from when I used to like, I don't know, like a while ago, I had a different job, but I just rec am rec able to recognize that like my calm can like, and like my calm voice now will spread um, calmness to the patients and their families when like, I may not exactly know what I'm doing, but I'm calm. So <laughs> it really so does. To know. Yeah. It it really does help the situation. And I recognize in that moment on how I'm talking and, and it's, it just comes out calm rather than a panicky, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, cause it's always a surprise when I show up. So it's, um, and then I call my manager and I realize like, it's just, I'm just like noticing my behaviors really like, I'm able to slow down and recognize that I'm not responding in a stressful way towards my manager either. Even though it's a very stressful situation, I'm like the way I respond, like I'm, I, I, I'm, I catch myself after and I'm like, wow, like I didn't, like, I wasn't rude. Cause I know during stressful situations in the, like, I used to just like get agitated and, and, uh, fidgety and like talk really stern but now I'm able to this practice has really helped me um and myself really uh just be calm and collected during those situations 
Thank you, Julie. That was that was really outstanding. You you described the process and why we do it to develop that calm, uh, and that it does affect others, doesn't it? And not in, not in a manipulative way. You weren't being calm just so your patient was calm. You were calm because you're calm, and other people are. And again, it, you did it yourself, Julia. You know, we, it, it's a good uh, you know good for all of us to re, for what Julia just said that she did all this herself. You know, we, we all participated in it as as part of her sangha, but she did she did the hard work and applied it to herself and uh, in the most practical way you know, to be present with another person calmly. It's worth the price of admission, isn't it? Thank you. It really from what you mentioned, like how it's like ourselves doing the work and, and it's showing and um it, it, it's motivation and to just like keep going because not only it like it just feels good and it feels peaceful and it's just good to have those moments when they do happen yeah come and see for yourself that's why the buddha said you have to come and see for yourself and he also described himself he never described himself as the world's most advanced anything he just said i'm another rightly self-awakened one meaning he did it himself and he taught us how to become rightly self-awakened too just like we're doing thank you julian now I teach you, I usually go to Ron. I usually go to my left first. It's, 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 I'm it's so, it is so interesting to hear Julia's and then go back to Brett. And it really is the same process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, you know, Julia may have had a common, pleasant experience, and Brett may have had a really good, yeah. unsettling point. But it was the same, same it's the same dependent origination yeah. playing out, and yeah. it's the same use of the practice and the restraint at different, you know, at different points and different results. But it's not just a practice to have butterflies and yeah, that's you know, sunny days, it's, it's also the yeah. reality that sometimes it's not a great outcome, yeah. but he, he was able to, you know. And they're still around and show why is your strength? You know, may not be by definition the perfect version of it, but it's a practice. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great insight, David. And that, I mean, it is. It's just, it's just that at the point of contact. It's nice to watch. Yeah. I mean, again, that's why our sangha, I mean, that's why it works because all, everybody here, every class, you share so much of yourselves. Practicing the Dhamma and it's inspiring to all of us. The Sangha is like, I get to steal a peek at someone else doing it, but I can't take that and apply it to myself. I have to experience it myself. Yeah. But I get to steal a peek at how it does work. Yeah, what it looks like. So, so you recognize it when it happens. I, I, I could ask Brett and Julia, and you can either, both of you can respond if you want. That's not something you would have been able to, to interrupt or even recognize a short while ago, right? I mean, that's, it, it wasn't something you did because yeah, you didn't have the tools to do it. I would have been able to recognize it, but I wouldn't have been able to probably stop it. And it would have yeah. ruined me for a lot longer than I did. Or I would have, I, I would be still full of resentment. Yeah, and that just, something, we do, you know, we don't, we don't usually go that far with it, but if you don't arrest it, all you're doing is feeding further conditioning, conditioned thinking. Right. So it, it doesn't get, it, it can get exp- exponentially more distracting you know, more dukkha when you don't address it. That's really how, 
you know, they, they found out that when we don't deal with dukkha, we don't deal with stress, we end up with all kinds of horrible things inside our bodies because we don't know how to deal with it. And, you know, they, to, again, that doesn't, that might even sound cruel or something, or why did God do that? God, that's just what we are as human beings. If we don't understand and don't develop a calm and peaceful mind, there's going to be stress and we're going to be the cause of a lot of it. But we don't have to be. We can do what we just described here at every class. And what our, our after that, venerable Dhamma teacher David, we'll see if Ron measures up tonight. Thank you. Dhamma <laughs> teacher Ron, we'll see if you get the appellation after. Come on. Uh, oh. Hey, I'm Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was I was thinking about Thomas Norton's uh, taking it to the to, to the marketplace and, and both um, Brett and Julia, that's that's yeah, where that's, that's where the rubber meets the meets yeah. the road. For me it's the it's the kitchen table where 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 that you know where the test really comes. Um but it's the same thing, you know. But for 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 people that, that with a with a family or relationship, uh, that's very often where where the real test is. You know, okay, you know, well, can you keep? I can keep my calm on 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 the pillow, but uh, when you know argument number eight hundred and fifty two comes at you again, uh, you know, how calm are you? Yeah. You know, can can you see it coming? You know, yeah. Can you see it arising? And then and can you see it arising in yourself? And can you apply a restraint at that moment? Yeah. Um, and sometimes it works, <laughs> sometimes it doesn't. But it's always an opportunity, isn't There's it? always another opportunity. I, it, you know, I talk to a lot of um, students outside of class with some questions and comments they have about their own practice. And a lot of it resolves, revolves around their home relationships. Oh, yeah. You know? It's but the, it's the most sense. intense, yeah. yeah. Well, it's also just practically who you spend the most time with. So your stuff is going to come up there. And, you know, hopefully you have um, uh, you have enough or built-in equanimity, I guess I would use, mm -hmm. that, you know, that you can get through that. But, you know, that um, your deepening calm can only help the situation, as I would bet Ron would say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I, I used to have a rule that that you know after I came back from traveling that I wouldn't stay more than 24 hours in in my parents' house because <laughs> if I stayed any longer, you know, stuff would come up. And yeah. you know. oh, I was like, yeah, I, I was, I, I was, I got up to about 15 minutes, ago. <laughs> and I love my parents, but wow, well, yeah. Talk about something to our siblings. Oh, there's there is Duke. Um, so, uh, we're going to continue this on Saturday and what's today? Tuesday. And then David's going to conclude this class next Tuesday, but we're going to continue with, uh, this suit and then continue with the rest of our, uh, structured study. And there is going to be a brand new suit that I've never taught before added to the end of this. I've been wanting to for a while. So big doings probably be in the New York times or something that happens. We'll finish with meta as we always do. The Buddha's words on meta. Always give us instructions. So just take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. And let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And the Buddha's words on meta.
This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, free from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, and being free from all sense desires is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Peace. Bye, everyone. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. See you, John. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.